Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Thank you, Pastor Nancy, and good morning, North Sound family. So good to see you all worshiping with us today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Those of you that are joining us online, we welcome you as well and are delighted that uh, you're part of the family and connecting with us in this way. We've uh, had quite a week, haven't we, when you think about the, uh, the warmth of last Sunday and all of the smoke uh, as Pastor Nancy prayed this morning, how grateful we were to be able to take some breaths of uh, a fresh air this week. It was wonderful. Although I must confess that the difference between 80 and 60 um, was rather felt. And uh, I said to Barb, I think we're, uh, we're kind of on track for the next six months now of <laughs> rain and uh, dark. And yeah, welcome to, welcome to the Northwest. But uh, the love of God shines in our hearts regardless. Amen. Amen. Well, you sound like Baptists out there this morning. That's great. We, uh, we, have, <clears throat> we are going to be uh, taking an offering this morning um, on your way out for uh, the Salvation Army helping with Hurricane Ian in Florida. And so we'll kind of do it like benevolence. Um, our regular tithes and offerings are done via the offering box in the back. But if you would like to make a contribution for hurricane uh, relief, we encourage you as you head out that you're welcome to do that. You can also uh, use the uh, online giving or mail something in if you want this week uh, for that purpose. Well, we're continuing our series called Life Together, and it has to do with um, looking at the values of North Sound Church, the values that we share as a community. And we're doing this in recognition of the fact that we think God is calling us to something more. He's calling us to something greater. And we're kind of rehearsing what's important to us in this season, even as we begin to look over the horizon and say, Lord, what are you calling us forward to as a congregation? Today we're going to talk about missing friends in our life together. And in 2016, uh, Barb's and my middle son, Ryan, and I went back, the two of us, to Washington, D.C. I uh, was a history major in college, and Ryan was a history major at the University of Washington. And uh, so we went back to look at some of the historical sites together. In the family, I have, we uh, <clears throat> tried to uh, take the boys to a, a mission field, but in Ryan's case, um, he had been to Laos with World Concern and led a team of students over there. And so we decided that we would make it a historical father-son event rather than a, uh, than a missions-oriented trip. While we were there, we went to the Pentagon, and where I had served in the tent city uh, right after the uh, 9-11 attacks, um, we, they built a beautiful uh, memorial there, and it was, it was really amazing to see the transformation from the tent city that I knew to, uh, to what, they have, uh, what they have done there. I, I remember the uh, profound um, 
surreal sort of nature of that whole season. And I think probably all of us that were uh, alive at that time, most of us were, we remember the, the trauma and the challenge of that time. I remember at Ground Zero seeing a firefighter that the look of exhaustion on his face was just palpable. Barb, as a nurse, can, can tell what's going on health-wise in people's lives uh, so readily. Um, and I, I'm sort of oblivious, but in this case, it was just so obvious. Another pastor visited Ground Zero about 10 days after the event took place. And he talked about the grief uh, that he experienced in being overwhelmed by the sights and the smells there at Ground Zero. But he talks about a transformation that came in his heart when it began to sort of bubble up within him the words that the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And I had to agree with him because as effective as the Red Cross was, and they are absolutely amazing people, and teams from around the country that poured into lower Manhattan to help, wonderful people, uh, firefighters that came in, uh, were specialists in that kind of a situation, um, that came in to help were wonderful people, but we discovered that Christians were meeting in restaurants and coffee shops and office buildings to pray and to comfort and to help those that were affected by this great tragedy. And we see that again now in Florida as churches and organizations of churches like the Salvation Army are involved in helping people with relief in this very difficult time. You see, churches bring hope to the hopeless, help to the helpless. They bring healing to the hurting. And that's what the Church of Jesus Christ is all about. And that's why we do what we do as the local church, as the body of Christ that God has called us together to be. Because I have to agree with my colleague that the local church is the hope of the world. From the beginning, the Christian church has been a missionary church. Before Jesus went to be with the Father at the end of the uh, Gospel of Matthew, he gave us the famous Great Commission, which says that we are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's discipleship. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Last week, we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit and how we can't do anything effectively without the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. We referenced Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and around the world. If you think about a rock or stone being thrown into a pond and you have the ripples that come out. It was the expansion of the church, first of all, in Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit fell that day and then to Judea, the larger province, and then to Samaria beyond them and also somewhat different cross-cultural and then to the uttermost parts of the world, the work of the gospel went forward. So as we consider the church in the book of Acts and 
being on mission, they understood so very well the mission to which they had been called, which began with Jewish people and an understanding of Jewish culture, and then moved on to Gentile people like us and was contextualized within Gentile culture. So the first thing I want us to consider as we consider reaching out to our missing friends is the fact that we're a missional church. Because the local church is the hope of the world, we believe that as a church we are called to make a difference in the community. That's really why we were born. Someone says, why plant churches? Well, each church is a unique expression that reaches a unique group of people, and we felt that we were called as a missional church to reach people and to design our ministry as though we were planting in a foreign country. It's like we have to get to know the people of our community in order to be able to minister to them with kingdom values. It's called contextualization. How do we understand where people are at and how do we respond to them as such? We've used a tool here at North Sound um, that is from an organization called Percept, and they provide demographic information so we can know about the natives of this country uh, that we inhabit. And so we ask them for information about a three-mile radius from North Sound Church. And they provide not only demographics like we can get from uh, the Census Bureau, but they also provide what are called psychographics, which help us to know how some of these factors that they have discovered fit together. And so um, I'm going to take probably three minutes here And some of you are going to glaze over because I'm going to share some statistics with you. But I hope that you will be able to um, resonate with what I'm saying in terms of understanding the community in which we are serving. So again, a three-mile radius of North Sound Church. And there are three clusters of population that predominate. And the first one, I think, may surprise you. The largest single psychographic group within three miles of the church is made up of young singles and couples at the beginning of their career life. They make up 36.3% of the population. That is 248% above the national average for a three-mile radius. So if you, you see in Edmonds a lot of folks that look like me and many of you But you're also beginning to see more and more strollers and evidence of children coming into our community as well. And in fact, according to this, that they actually make up the largest demographic group within a three-mile radius. What does that say to us about the future of the church and our calling and how we need to engage? The second largest group is called affluent families. And they make up one quarter of the population in a three-mile radius. And uh, they are uh, uh, about 28.3 is the, um, is the actual number. And that's 187% above the national average for a three-mile radius. And then finally, middle American families represent um, the target area here as well. And they make up about a quarter Um, of the area in which we serve as a church. 
What has been interesting is to try to dig a little bit deeper. We hear wide estimates of the churched population in our area. Um, Gallup is a pretty responsible organization, and they have some (coughs) results from their study of Washington State in 2015. They found that 24% of the population of Washington indicated they attend services weekly. Now, it would be interesting in post-COVID times um, to have them redo that study because things have changed fairly significantly. But they also um, indicate that the lowest church population in the country is Vermont at 17%. Percept found that 30.9% of their three-mile radius say they're strongly involved with their faith not necessarily their church, but with their faith, according to their own articulation. And then an additional 22.7% are considered somewhat likely to be involved with their faith. Those that are clearly not involved make up half of the people that are in this, um, this three-mile radius, 47.2, compared to a national average of 34.7%. So we are substantially more unchurched than the nation as a whole, and I'm sure that doesn't come as a surprise to any of us. So in the face of a culture that's searching for fulfillment through self, through their own aggrandizement, through individualism, people need to hear that it is in a relationship with God that we find ultimate joy. So we've talked about statistics, but I want to put that in the life of a real person. Oz Guinness interviewed a very successful businessman, and he said this, the businessman said, as you know, I've been very fortunate in my career, and I've made a lot of money, far more than I ever dreamed of, far more than I could ever spend, far more than my family needs. The speaker was a prominent businessman at a conference near Oxford University. The strength of his determination and character showed in his face, but a moment's hesitation betrayed a deeper emotion hidden beneath the outward intensity. A single tear rolled down his well-tanned cheek. To be honest, one of my motives for making so much money was simple, he said, to have the money to hire people to do what I don't like doing. But there's one thing I've never been able to hire anyone to do for me, and that is find my own sense of purpose and fulfillment. I'd give anything to find that. Friends, the bottom line is that our country, our state, our county, and our city have become mission fields. And we have to set about the task as a church as we look at the future on how we can reach these missing friends with the good news of Jesus Christ, whose lives need meaning and purpose that comes from a relationship with Almighty God. And the question is, how are we going to do this as a church? Well, I want to suggest that we reach missing friends through how we live our lives. We reach missing friends through how we live our lives. In Acts 7, we have recorded the story of the martyrdom of Stephen beginning in verse 59, and they were stoning, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The first verse of the next chapter says, and Saul approved of his execution. 
We know that within that chapter that Saul of Tarsus was a Jewish leader and those that were stoning Stephen laid their, their outer garments, their cloaks down at his feet for safekeeping while they went about the task of taking the life of Stephen. We probably won't be effective in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel with others if we compartmentalize our faith. I mentioned Oz Guinness earlier in his book, The Call. He speaks of what it means to have a calling in our lives. He says, calling is the truth that God calls us to himself so decisively that everything we are, everything we do, and everything we have is invested with a special devotion and dynamism lived out as a response to his summons and service. I've been studying in recent years the history of the early church, and um, it's been fascinating, and one of the reasons for doing that is because in this time in which we live, um, the church has been struggling. We've, We've been struggling to be as effective as we want to be, especially in the United States, Canada, and Western Europe. In other parts of the world, the church has been moving ahead powerfully, but we've struggled from the place where the missionaries that are now uh, having influenced people around the world, the work of God is going ahead, and we've struggled here. And I've been asking the question, why? What's different about our lives and our place than what was there in the early church? And uh, one of the books that's been most helpful that I recommend to you if you have a similar interest is called The Patient Ferment by Alan Kreider. And he, um, it's called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And the subtitle is The Improbable Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. Alan Kreider says this about the early church. He writes about the first three centuries. He says, the most reliable means of communicating the attractiveness of the faith to others and enticing them to investigate things further was the Christian's character, bearing, and behavior. The habitus, that is to say the the habits and the lifestyle of the individual Christian was crucial. I think there there may have been a time when there was just a message that was articulated and it was enough to put a bumper sticker that said Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, or something like that. But we live live in a season where um, there is so much dissonance. So many Christians have been identified with one political extreme or another. And when I looked at the pages of Scripture and those who are writing about the early church, what I found was that there wasn't a master strategy. I could find no sort of master evangelistic strategy that if we just did A, B, and C, um, the churches would be filled with people who are repenting and finding life in Christ. But what I did find that Alan Kreider so beautifully has shown, and that is that it was actually discipled Christians. It was Christians who were fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in their lifestyle that actually were the best evangelists. Because 
for the first three centuries, there weren't church buildings. <clears throat> Christians met maybe as many as 50 in the home of a wealthier member of the congregation. But what drew people to faith was the character of the Christians because they were so very different than the other people around them. Friends, we need to be able to share authentically and we need to be honest about our failures. We need to engage with our neighbors in ways that as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to be the kind of people that other people want to be like. If we're no different than our neighbors, why would they want to be like us? Ours is more than a message about heaven. It also includes the joy of living transformed lives now. Second thing I want to suggest is that we reach missing friends through how we do community. Leanne read for us this morning. By the way, Leanne heads up women's ministries at North Sound and any of you that... Uh, um, uh, ladies in the congregation that would like to be a part of that, they uh, have that on Wednesday uh, and Wednesday morning, and you can talk to Pastor Nancy or Leanne about um, about our women's Bible study. I'm going to reread the passage to refresh it for you. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, and now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending, to the, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas cared enough for Saul to go all the way to Tarsus. They met regularly with the church in Antioch, and they were first called Christians. The name was given there in Antioch. They used their spiritual gifts to build each other up. And the interesting thing here was the service that they rendered. They sent relief to the brothers living in Judea. There was great poverty in that season in the church in Jerusalem. And now that the message of the gospel had gone to others, they felt that they wanted to serve financially by helping towards meeting that need. They had become a community. Last week, um, I mentioned having the privilege of meeting with Richard Foster uh, in Washington, having dinner with him when he was back for a conference that we hosted. He wrote Celebration of Discipline, and he shared how those outside the church must be drawn to people who are inside the church, or there is no incentive to belong. I'm going to share that again. He shared how those outside the church must be drawn to the people who are inside the church or there's no incentive to belong. Again, why would anybody want to be like us if we simply look like them? So the power of the Go initiative of the gospel is matched in our postmodern culture with 
the calm imperative of a worshiping, loving community. In a postmodern environment, people are often drawn to community before they're drawn to the gospel, before they're drawn to a message. And so we, we draw people in relationship into our lives. I encourage our staff and our elders to make sure that there are unchurched people who are their friends with whom they are engaged in relationship outside the walls of the church. The expression that's sometimes used is that nowadays in a postmodern world, it's not unusual for people to belong before they believe, to belong to the community before they actually choose to believe on Jesus Christ. We encourage folks to get involved relationally. So whether it's a small group or a huddle or an alpha course, these are places that people can be in relationship. One-on-one -on -one relationships are so important. And when we have relationships with people that they find are credible relationships with credible people, they're willing to journey with us and begin to explore the faith. It's so important for us to worship together weekly like we do. But in addition to worship, and no matter how powerful worship is, it's authentic relationships in the context of unconditional love shown by people whose lives are different that is actually going to make the difference in the days to come. Christians and not yet Christians are both introduced to a place where they can grow relationally in the context of a place where the environment expresses grace and truth. So friends, becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in our own lives is the best thing we can do in terms of being able to share the good news of Jesus. The third thing I wanna share is that we reach missing friends through going to them with a message and by serving them. In Acts 2, we see that people who were present at Pentecost were from all over the world and that there were uh, 3,000 people added to the church in one day. So there, there, was, a, there was this season when um, the, the church moved out almost immediately. And so as missionaries went out around the world, what happened was there were already people who had made commitments to Christ and now were in a position to grow into their faith because 3,000 that were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost had now gone home. One of the things that I've noticed in my lifetime in ministry is that when I started out, um, I worked with Pastor Allen many, many years ago, and we used to do uh, a Christmas and Easter concert series. And at Christmas, over two weekends, there were about 12,000 people that went through those concert evenings. And we had an altar call, and the altar call was pretty effective in terms of after this moving concert, people coming forward and giving their lives to Jesus Christ. And nowadays, we don't see that. In fact, our Christmas in Edmonds concert, well, we will reference um, Alpha, reference the, you know, uh, 
turning one's life to the Lord. In fact, we don't do an, do an altar call. And one of the challenges that we have is that the world has changed so much that, that 40 years ago, people had the furniture. Most Americans had Christian furniture. They had been to Sunday school as children, the majority, been to Sunday school as children. They may have been in and out in a, of a youth group and when presented with the gospel through the concert, it was an environment where they were ready to respond because, again, they, they got it. They understood the culture. They had the worldview. We don't have that anymore. We have so many people who have no relationship with the church. Half the population in a three-mile radius has no relationship, and many of those have no background. They, they don't have the Christian furniture. And so how do, we, how do we reach these people? Well, at the heart of the Christian message is the word kerygma, which is, in fact, the word of truth. And people still need to respond to the truth. So in a culture that's gone to a place where truth has become relative and there's your truth and my truth, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't play that game. We don't get into that place. We believe that the scripture gives us absolute truth, but as we articulate absolute truth, we do it with humility. We don't want to use it as a club and come down on people but in fact, we believe that it's absolute truth and that people need to hear it. But the challenge that we have is that missing friends are more than a notch on our evangelistic belt. They're real people for which Christ loved enough to die on the cross. And we need to love them too. It isn't enough. It isn't enough just to say words. It's not enough to do altar calls. In the post-modern world, they need to be loved. They need to be engaged in relationship where they are. For many people, this relationship happens through acts of service. Earlier this week, I wrote a, a letter uh, a request to the Verdant Health Commission applying for a grant for children and families in poverty in our school district. About one in three students in South Snohomish County uh, are participating in free and reduced lunch in the schools. In a few Sundays, we're going to talk more about serving our community, but I want to give you just a quick list of some, not all of the things that we've been involved in historically as a church by serving. We've engaged in disaster relief with world concern. We've been a place of blood donations for Blood Works Northwest. Parish nursings provided consulting for people, blood pressure checks, health fairs help for individuals suffering with mental health issues through NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. We've supported the Puget Sound Christian Clinic hand-in-hand -hand on Casino Road in Everett, the Nourishing Network providing food for school children, marriage and parenting courses, tutoring, soccer clinic in the community, financial support for an Afghan family through World Relief, English language teaching, providing funds to neighborhood churches for their food banks, and perhaps what moved me the most was several years ago when we asked you all, 
how you were engaged and discovered that within our congregation there were 105 organizations to which people in the North Sound family were engaged in serving in the community. I was so blessed and it so blew me away to realize that in so many ways that we don't even know as a church you all are engaged. Friends, Jesus cared deeply about people and we care deeply about people. It's not just declaring the message of the good news. People need to know how deeply we really know them. How deeply do we really know them and how deeply do we really care about them? Several years ago, I was at a training event that was put on by a senior leader of the Chick-fil-A organization. And I was amazed in this training video that they had produced and the application to us as the family of God is so important as we seek to know and love everyone because everyone has a story. Let's watch together.
Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that every life does indeed have a story and as your followers, we want to link the story of every one of your children to your story. The story of creation, the story of your great love on the cross where you became the means by which our sins are forgiven. The story where we get to live a meaningful and purposeful life now and eternal life to come. So Lord, help us, each one of us, to fully commit our lives to you, that our lives would be different and that people would be drawn to a people whose lives reflect your life. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us to exercise patience and kindness. May we act justly, love kindness, and walk humbly with you and with those around us that we may be able to share your love and the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, that they too may be a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.